That was just the precursor. <laughs> Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. This past week, I felt like the Lord led me to 1 Samuel. I was studying Hannah's prayer as she was seeking the Lord, praying for a child. She wanted to have a child. Her husband's other, other wife was having children. She didn't have a child. And she's crying out to the Lord, desperately seeking the Lord, so much so that the priest thought she was drunk, just distraught, crying out to God. And then finally, God hears her prayer. I shouldn't say finally God hears her prayer. God does hear her prayer probably from the very first time she prayed. But there's a breakthrough that happens. And I begin to notice her praise the praises after the victory that began to come from Hannah are incredible. And then I started thinking, okay, I'm going to preach on that here before we go into our next series. And the Lord says, not so fast, Mike. There are several different places throughout Scripture where you see this same thing happening. And I believe God wants His people to know some things about Himself that are found in these revelations. So we're going to do a little mini-series called The Praises after the victory the praises after the victory we're not going to cover all of them in this series of the different accounts of god's people singing praises or prayers of praise that they lift up to god but i tell you what these things are so significant these things have been getting so a hold of my heart here over the last couple of weeks i've been praying and contemplating these things and i believe it's timely especially looking at some of the things that we're looking at here in our day and age today God wants His people to know things about Him. God wants His people to grow. What do we always say here at Church of Hope? Rick, you ready for this? The Bible is how many stories? One. You can't trick Rick anymore. It's one. It's a revelation of who God is. So as you study Scripture, these should be things that you're saying. What does this passage reveal to me about God? What is He wanting to show me about who He is and His character? This is so important because so many people have developed an unbiblical view of God. That's not found anywhere in Scripture. It's this lovey-dovey, cozy little God. That's so small, he fits into our own box. And my prayer is that many people in these days and these times would be awakened out of that sleeping, slumbering view of God into a holistic view of God as he has revealed himself in the Word of God. We're just going to look at some of the things. And, and we're not going to walk away from this series being like, okay, now I know everything that there is to know about God. I'm here to tell you, there's more. There's more that you and I can never even possibly comprehend. And yet He wants us to know these things about God. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 15. Here's the background. God had just had Pharaoh let his people go after ten plagues. The final plague being the death of the firstborn child of all of those who did not have the blood applied to their doorposts. What do you think that's talking about? What do you think that's highlighting? Any, any idea? Blood applied? We sang about it here this morning, didn't we? The Passover. Coming right off of this. 
And everything that's going on here, God was revealing himself, not only to the Israelites, but also to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Let's do a little study here. Exodus chapter 7, actually, go back. Let's just look at several of these passages. Just to get an idea, why is God doing these different things? Why is God allowing these different things to happen? Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, like I said, not only will you see God desiring to reveal himself to the Israelites, show them how strong he is going to work and move on their behalf if they would only trust him, but also he wants to show, I am the Lord even to the Egyptians. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not hear you, so that... <laughs> he doesn't leave us without explanation. Why is Pharaoh not going to hear? So that... God has a plan and a purpose behind this. I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt that I may bring out the children of Israel from among them. Did you catch that? Did you catch the reason why all of this is happening? Oh, it's happening for many different reasons. Don't get me wrong. There's hardness of heart. There's demonic activity happening. But I want you to know something. God is accomplishing his plans and his purposes through all of this. And he has a plan and his purpose. And he says, so that I can deliver these people and that not only you will know that I'm the Lord, but all of Egypt is going to know I'm the Lord. I don't know if you know this about God, but God is interested in getting glory from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Exodus chapter 8, just a chapter over, verses 8 through 10. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept um, except the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. This is what Moses is telling Pharaoh. He says, when do you want these frogs to be removed? I want you to have no doubt that God did this so that you will know, Pharaoh, that he is the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You don't believe me yet? How about Exodus chapter 8, verses 22 through 23? Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there, so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. So... so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb on the field and broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel was no hail. God's protection for his people in the land of Goshen. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. Sorry, I didn't even read the right passage for you. Let's, uh, let's move on. 13 through 16, ch chapter 9, 13 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning. 
and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Chapter 14, verse 4. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. This is right before they're about to cross the Red Sea. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Catch a theme here? So that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. God was revealing himself to them. This sets it all up. Moses and the children of Israel begin to sing a song of praise after this great victory that God had accomplished when they went through on dry land, right? And all of Pharaoh's army has come running in behind him, his best soldiers. And God says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. You raise up your rod, Pharaoh, and the, and, and the waters are going to come crashing down on them. And they're going to be destroyed, every single one of them. You're going to see it happen before your very eyes. What do they do? What do they say as they come into Exodus chapter 15? They talk about God. What do they say about Him? Number one. Number one. You're like, you got six. <laughs> oh no, we're going to go through these quickly. Number one. God is worthy of praise. Do you believe that today? God is worthy of praise. Starts off, I will sing to the Lord. The first thing out of their hearts, I will sing to the Lord. I have a song that's going to be offered up. I hope you, I hope you enjoy praising the Lord. I didn't say, I hope you have a good voice, although that would help. But you know what I'm saying? Everybody has a place in praise. Everybody has an opportunity, a song that is to be lifted up. Why? Because He's worthy. He, this is why we always say we worship God and we praise Him for who He is, simply who He is, and what He has done to redeem a people for Himself. What He's done in our lives, we're singing about this here just this morning. All of the songs, we're talking about this reality of what Christ has accomplished. It's why we sing around here. It's why we play music. The requirement is not that somebody meet a certain level of quality within their singing or within their playing. It's not about being a musical person. It's about God being worthy of our praise. We exalt that which we sing about. Did you know that? Whatever you sing about, you lift it up. That's why we need to be careful what we're taking in, right? What you listen to is what comes out, too. Did you notice that? What you take in to your ears, the kind of music that you listen to, is what is going to come out as well. You need to be very careful with that. It's meant to be a praise offering to God because He and He alone is worthy of that. Contemplate these things. 
Psalm chapter 34, verses 1 through 3. What does it say? Here's the psalmist lifting up praise, exalting Jesus, elevating. We don't make God greater than He is, but we're elevating His name. We're allowing people to see God for how great He really is. Here's what he says. I will bless the Lord when? All times. His praise shall what? Continually be in my mouth. Always be in my mouth. My, my soul shall make its boast. There's one thing worth boasting in. You can boast. You can brag. Did you know that? God has never told anybody, don't brag. Never once. But he's very serious about what you brag about. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it, and they're going to be glad. It's going to have an effect on the people that are around you. The humble people, the people that are humble, receive God's grace, right? He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. They hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify. Now it's an invitation. Let's all join in on this together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnifying something, you don't make it any bigger than it is. You actually allow it to get closer to its rightful size. That's what it means to magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us lift up, exalt His name together. Why? Because I sought the Lord and He heard me. Have you sought the Lord? Has He heard you? Then His praises should continually be on your lips. Oh, may we be this people. He's a God that's worthy of praise. Number two, He's a God of wrath. No one's writing songs about this anymore. <laughs> it used to be an old course that was taken right from this very passage. Joe, do you remember it? Not that I'm picking on you, Joe. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I'm not writing songs about the wrath of God anymore. Judgments, the justice. Maybe there are some. Let me know, by the way. I think we'd love to sing them. You say, that just sounds crazy, Mike. Why, why should we rejoice in the wrath and the judgments of God? Because God wants people to know that He is a God of wrath. That He is a God of judgment. In many people's gospels today, it's a one-sided gospel. All we're focusing on is one side, and it's making for a weak, weak God that nobody's going to be held accountable to. God wants people to know, no, you are going to be held accountable. You're going to answer to the one that, what did Jesus himself say? Don't fear what man can do to you. How they can hurt you, say names about you, even take your life. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul where? You can say it here. This is Where? You don't want to say it? Hell. Absolutely. It's the wrath of God. Jesus actually commanded people, you better know who I am. And you better make sure you're in a right standing with the God of the Bible. I will sing to the Lord, He has triumphed gloriously. Look at verses 3 through 10. The Lord is a man of war. Does that fit in your theology? 
The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned into the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces and the greatness of your excellence. You have overthrown those who rose against you. Yet uh, you sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. This is all the threats that were coming out. I don't think it's an accident that you're reading in Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters are of roar and be troubled, there is a river whose stream shall make glad. City of God. Hallelujah. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead. Mighty, he describes how they hit the bottom of the ocean in their song. God wants people to know this about them. He is strong in power and he will defeat all of his enemies, not just some of them, all of them who rise against God will eventually one day be defeated. Gonna happen, my friends. He does not glance over sin, but makes sure every sin receives its just and proper punishment. God wants us to know that the greatest attempt by man or a demon or Satan to remove God from his throne will, like verse 5 says, sink to the bottom like a stone, and like verse 10 says, sink like lead in the mighty waters. God is a God of justice. He is not good if he is not. I remember a conversation I was having with an individual one time and we were talking about the justice of God. He happened to be a Muslim man. And he was telling me how he believed that hopefully that Allah was going to forgive him. I said, on what grounds? He says, just because I think he's a loving God. So for, excuse me, rather a forgiving God. And I says, well, then is he not just then? Allah isn't just? He says, oh no, he's just. What do you mean? I said, the reason why I believe in the forgiveness of my God from the Bible is because he doesn't just sweep sin under the carpet. He doesn't just forgive because he's a forgiving God. Friends, that's not the gospel. The only reason why any single one of us in this room will ever be forgiven is because Jesus went to the cross in your place and he bore God's wrath for you and me. Because he's a just God. And he's a good God. Anybody who walks into the courtroom and says, yeah, Judge, your honor, I'm sorry for what I've done. Will you please? I know I raped that girl. I know I murdered that person. Will you please forgive me? Any judge that lets that person go out of the courtroom free is not a good judge. It's not a just judge. Justice has to be served. And Christ accomplishes that. The cross of Christ accomplishes this. You know how interesting this is? Just real quick, Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 15. This song right here that's being sung is going to be sung again. As these bowls of judgment that are found in Revelation chapter 15, right before the first one begins to be poured out upon the earth. You know what it says they sang? Chapter 15, verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, and over the image, and over the mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of, help me out, church, Moses. The servant of God. It's not just a song of Moses. He wants you to let you know, this is a song of the Lamb. This is a song of the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. This is his song. Great and marvelous are all your works. Everything you do is just and right. Lord God Almighty, just and true are all your ways. O King of the saints, those who belong to you, who should not fear you, O Lord? Who should not tremble in your presence? For you're a great God. Everything you do is just and true. And glorify your name, for you alone are holy. And on and on it goes. A little bit later, I think it's after the third, or maybe I think it's in between the third and the fourth bowl of wrath that's being poured out. The angel says this in chapter 16, uh, verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, you are righteous. He began to give his praise offering, and here's what he says. God, you are right. What is he saying? You're right in doing this. All of a heaven agrees with God in his righteous acts. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to be. What is he saying by that? He's saying he never changes. He has always been. He is today, and he will always be. He's eternally existent, but it's also telling us he never changes. Exactly who he was in the Old Testament is exactly who he is today, friends. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they shed the blood. Notice how God takes care of his people, the blood-bought saints of the living God. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. See, oftentimes we're embarrassed over this attribute and reality of God, and we should not be. We ought to be taking God's side for who he is, not man's measly, puny, thoughts about God. How often do you hear it? Oh, I read in the old, I could never believe in a God that does these things. How often do you hear that? I hear it all the time when I share the gospel with people. I can never believe in a God who does all these things. Now, I never, I, and don't ever apologize for God. Don't ever apologize for God. Because when you apologize for God for that, you cheapen His grace. You cheapen His mercy. It's a song of Moses and the song of the land. Number three, God is holy. 
verses 11 and 12, back in Exodus chapter 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth, is swallow, the earth swallowed them. Holy means morally pure, perfect. The question, obviously, the answer to the question that's being posed right here is no one, right? Who is like you, O Lord? Who has there ever been? Who can we even come close to comparing to you? And the answer is no one. No one has ever been, no one is today, no one will ever be like our God. No one will be holy like Him. Morally pure, perfect. It also means not like us. He's set apart. He's other than. Nothing and no one compares to Him. So if you and I are ever reading something in Scripture and God reveals Himself in a way that you or I wouldn't, or does something that you and I would not do, don't try to fix it by explaining it away. Embrace the truth. It will change you. It will set you free from your own thinking and my own thinking and cause us to think more like God. It's the kind of effect that the Word of God is meant to have. It's meant to awaken us. It's meant to reveal God to us. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. What are these beings that are all around the throne saying? Can you help me out, church? What is, they never stop saying this. Holy, holy, holy. It didn't change because by the time you get into Revelation chapter 4, they're doing the same thing. And they're not bored. They're not just like, oh man, I wish we'd get a new song. They are in such awe. This is how awesome God is. They never grow tired of this. They're constantly seeing Him and His beauty and His holiness so far beyond our comprehension. And every time that they do this, the 24 elders hit the ground. Boom, here we go again. Overwhelmed at the reality of who God is. Oh, we painted God so small in our eyes. I can promise every single one of us this, including myself, God is way greater than you and I think He is right now. Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. How about this? Number four, He's a God of mercy. Are you glad about that? I know I am. <laughs> I am so glad that God is a God of mercy. Verse 13. For in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. There is redemption in Him. That's good news. That's why you and I have this gospel that's called good news that we can go to people after having experienced it ourselves and being born again of God, have experienced His mercy and His grace, and be able to tell other people, hey, there is hope. Are you glad? There's hope. There's one way. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's only one way. And it's only found in Him. He's a God of mercy. He loves putting His mercy on display. He loves showing it. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Ah, let's turn there. Sorry. I'm not really, but I just said it. 
55 verses 6 and 7. Here's the call. This is the call. Seek the Lord while he may be found. When is there opportunity? Right now, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that tell us, though? That tells us that there will come a time where he won't be able to be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. That's a promise. He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly, not just a little bit. Aren't you glad about that? God doesn't just pardon you a little bit. God abundantly pardons those who come to him. His way. His, for the believer, his mercies are new every morning. Lamentation chapter 3. He, gives, he guides His people in His strength, not their own strength, His strength. He is guiding them to a specific destination. We're going to look at this in a second. Number five, He is to be feared. He is to be feared. When the world looks on and see how God fights for His people and is favorable towards them, it's meant to stir up fear. The fear of the Lord is the, help me out church, the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is such a foreign concept in our day, even in many churches. The fear of the Lord in our day is a bad thing, or looked on as a bad thing. But the fear of the Lord in the Bible is not only a good thing, but a necessary thing that has amazing results. Ray Comfort, as he, would share, as he continues to share the gospel with people, used the analogy of hanging them out of a, out of a plane. Hanging them out of a plane, that's airborne. That is meant to induce what? Help me out. Fear. Right? He's, what is he doing when he does that? He goes over the law of God and he talks about, here's the reality of who God is. This is his word. This is his law. And every single one of us that are compared to his righteous holy standard find ourselves lacking, right? We find ourselves guilty before God. And then he will pull them up and he will offer them, quote-unquote, the parachute. What is the parachute? The parachute is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who have truly seen it for what it is gladly respond and say, yeah, I do want that parachute. And I tell you what, that's what makes God's grace so amazing. When People see God for who He is, and then they see themselves for who they are. And they respond like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, I'm undone. And God says, Yep, but I got it covered. Here's what I have accomplished. And that will produce within a person's life this same attitude as Isaiah had. Even before he hears what the message is that he's called to give to the people he hears the invitation, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And he says, here I am, send me. With gratitude, heart transformation, I'm in. Doesn't matter what it is, I'm in. That's the right response. Number six, and lastly, God is going to dwell with his people. Look at verses 16 through 18. 
Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made. For your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. That's good news. God will bring His people through victoriously. We can take that to the bank. He is leading them to a place where He can be with them forever. That's always been God's intention. That's always been the heart of God. It's going to be fulfilled. From the very beginning, He created the Garden of Eden, a place that He could dwell with His people. He created people for Himself that He could be with, that He could display His glory to. That's why when Jesus came, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, He is to be called Emmanuel. That means God with us. God dwelling among His people is the destination. This is why Jesus said He was going away to prepare a place for us so where He is, we would be also. He gave His Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that one day He would return and we would be in the fullness of His presence forever. You need a little encouragement with that? Read Revelation chapter 21 through 20, chapter 22. Jot that down. Throw that in your notes. I'm not going to read through that here right now. But it's an awesome passage of what's coming for all those who trust in Him because He's a covenant-keeping God who keeps his word. Amen? I'm going to invite Daryl up here at this time. And um, 